thanks very much for coming. Uh, welcome to the Irish Times Book Club uh, with um, Paul McVeigh, author of The Good Son, uh, myself, uh, Martin Doyle, assistant literary editor of the Irish Times, in association here with the Irish Writers' Centre in Parnell Square in Dublin. Um, the Good Son, I don't know if you've read it, but it's a, it's a fantastic uh, read uh, set in Belfast. It's a coming-of-age novel, but much more than that, set against the backdrop of the Troubles. And it's also um, about a young boy who is very much um, an outsider, and yet he's a, an incredibly lovable, memorable um, character. Um, Paul, all novels draw on the author's life or experience to some degree, I, dis I suspect, but yours, I think, is perhaps more autobiographical than most. Could you tell us a bit about your own life, if you would, and then maybe talk about how you drew on that um, for uh, The Good Son? Um, well, yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a mixture, isn't it? I think most people, um, when they begin to write, before they even would call themselves a writer, you know, they, they, they think about their lives and they remember things, moments that transform them. You know that mark them um, positively and negatively, and and I think when you first start to to experiment with writing, you you look back at those and and you you know some people say it's kind of expect, you know you're picking scabs you know uh, just to kind of open old wounds you know to look look at um, things that are powerful moments you know and 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 that certainly that was the first um, thing that I did and and um, I look back to my childhood and. Um, and I think what really motivated me was the um, the desire to tell a story. Um, I, I think I, I always have to have a passion for what I'm doing and I can only feel passionate about something that has deep meaning for me uh, personally. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why it's my work's always wrapped up in, the, in personal stuff. But in terms of my, I mean, my, I had a, a, a very large um, a family where there was uh, seven kids and at one point my mum's um, brother moved in with his so there was 11 of us in two bedrooms you know in what was called the biggest slum in Europe you know so I mean it was abject poverty I mean you know and, and this isn't you know ancient history you know uh, um, this is sort of um, in the 1970s and 80s in Belfast um, so um, I think that um, when I speak to people about um, Northern Ireland and, and, and Belfast, it always amazes me how little people know. Mm -hmm. um, uh, people who um, grew up in a different part of the city. Uh, I said that one of the lines in the book is, you know, the rich, pe rich people didn't have the troubles. Mm -hmm. And that was true, they didn't. Um, and it's shocking, it shocks me. And, um, um, and, and I, I had a conversation with a, um, a poet who um, is, a, is, is quite uh, big at, in Northern Ireland and who was telling me that, that, that she did in fact know the, 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 the troubles because she'd read a book once, you know, and people do have this sense where, oh, they saw it a wee bit on TV so they know it. Mm -hmm. Don't tell them that they don't know it because they did because they saw it a bit on television. I thought, well, it's not really like that. If you, were, if you were going through it at that time, it was something so powerful. I mean, it, it, it shaped you and you never really get away from that and I think as a writer why would you not write about it mm -hmm. um, why would you not go there and and try and communicate just even just one part of what it was like and for me it was to return to a 
my childhood and 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 look at um you know uh how um how poor we were and then there's an international language of poverty mm -hmm. you know so you can talk you, you you can you can make it really specific and talk about um a, you know a slum in belfast but you know it's it's not that far from a slum in new york or a slum in a slum in india you know there, there's the same language going on with those families yeah. desperation and need so that so those themes definitely um, uh, definitely came out um, in my work, but not necessarily the facts. You know, like you know, in in this, it's like a, it's a smaller family. You know, that there there are lots of different facts um, that, that that weren't part of my uh, upbringing, and certainly the story didn't happen to me. Put another way, perhaps, how much of you is there in the protagonist, Mickey Donnelly? Oh, um, Mickey is um, braver than me. Um, he's funnier than me. Uh, he's more resilient than I was. Um, and and that was a decision I made, you know, um, when I first wrote the book, you know, I, it was a very dark, sad book. And I wanted to say, you know, you know, particularly because he, he, he's, he's so different, you know, and, and, and people are not very tolerant of difference. You know, and in an environment where you're, the top end of your street is blocked off and the bottom is, you know, you're, you're, you're under a microscope. You know, and so, um, you know, if you're different, uh, people are just, they're vicious, you know. And I wanted to say, here's the damage you do mm -hmm. when you behave like this to, to, to small children who, who are different. Um, and uh, then you put it into the mix of the, of the troubles as well and that extra pressure. Um, so I think for me, you know, um, it, if Mickey beat the troubles, it beat me, mm -hmm. definitely. But I mean, I, I, did not, I did not survive in the way he did. It really marked me in a very um, you know, serious way, and I, and I became, you know, uh, deeply affected by it. Um, and what I wanted to do was the opposite. Then, when I rewrote it, I actually thought, no, well, actually, isn't it isn't it better to say, well, what what if a kid? What if you talk about humanity's resilience, and what do you what if you talk about somebody who refuses, you know, refuses to let them get them down, you know, mm -hmm. and all, uh, uh, and also even within his family, refuses not to be loved even when there's moments when it looks like he might not be. Um, he refuses. I will not think for a moment my mummy doesn't love me. You know, I, I just won't tolerate it, mm -hmm. you know, no matter how badly she behaves, you know, because I, and he, and, and in some ways he makes her love him. He makes her change, you know. Uh, and I, and I, I mean, I wasn't that kind of powerful kid, you know. So. It's interesting, like, the, the book took over 17 years, I think, to evolve. <laughs> From, yes, um, thank you. <laughs> from uh, its original format, the, the short story which we published on the website and yes. which I'd recommend everyone to, to read, partly as a compare and contrast exercise, but even as a standalone, um, it's a fine story in itself. And Danielle McLaughlin, um, your fellow writer, will be has written a very good piece about that, which we'll be publishing uh, later in the series. But um, I guess my, my question is... Um, do you think the book benefited actually significantly from the fact that perhaps you matured as a person or your perspective uh, matured over time and maybe you saw the story differently as you just said? Um, Absolutely. I mean, I think the thing is, is that, you know, 
it's a, it, you know publishing is very complex you know so you know people don't really like um you know sad endings and 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 it, it makes it more difficult to get your book published particularly a, a book about the troubles you know so um but i think it definitely was a personal journey for me you know i mean i you know there were so many years i think i stopped writing for quite a quite a while and when i came back to it you know i'd had a lot of experiences in my life that taught me um about the resilience of of human beings you know and um you know there were you know different sort of life events where i felt like you know through, through grief particularly actually i think grief is a very transformative thing i spoke to george saunders about this he's one of my favorite writers and we both agreed you know that it, it, it completely changed the way our attitude towards writing you know because um you know grief you know you can feel like the dead take you with them you know you feel like you're you're gone and when you go through a process of reconnecting with the world, and it can be a very long one, and for me it was, was that, you know, um, what brought me back to communicating with the world and re-engaging and reinvesting in, in, in people and relationships in the world and, and, and writing and all those things um, was learning and remembering the generosity of strangers. And, you know, I was traveling around by, you know, with, with no belongings and, 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 you know, people who had nothing, you know, shared it with mm -hmm. me mm -hmm. and it was something very powerful that that made me realize you know to 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 see the generosity in people and then to look at a story that was interesting when i started writing again with empathy and to actually rather than look back and say i want you to know how bad you all were how bad you all were to this little boy and and to uh, to uh, to my people you know um i instead wanted to say you know you see no matter how bad things are you know this will pass mm -hmm. you know and you can use what's inside you to shape what's outside and um and, and and that was definitely a conscious thing to do and i was really glad i did it i felt much happier about it and now you've actually gone one step further and moved back to belfast yes um, you know that's quite a step having lived abroad for many years yeah um, is that a vote of confidence in the place or an experiment it's a bit of an experiment because, well, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm moving back to be near my family. Um, you know, I'm getting old and, um, you know, um, I mean, I'm single, I don't have children, you know, so my brothers and sisters, my siblings and my, my, my mom who, who's left, um, she, she, you know, I, I don't want to waste any time around that, you know, mm -hmm. so I want to be, and I travel now so much with work. So um, then that was making it difficult. I was only home for a week like a week and then to try and get back over to Ireland sure. in, within that mm -hmm. and, and then try and rest and wash my socks and things at the same time or just wasn't working out so I just thought well at least if my base is there I always get to spend time with my family mm -hmm. um, and you know I'd been very ill last year and my family took care of me mm -hmm. and that really impacted on me because I was very lucky to fall ill while I was at home um, you know and I realised that that had been somewhere else and I'd have been spent, I spent a long time in hospital and um, I, I, I would have been there with no one visiting me and no one said, my family were coming up and they'd, they'd cook my breakfast, my lunch, my dinner. They didn't let anyone touch me. They were washing me. They were bringing up my mm. washing. They were folding it and ironing it. They were coming up with ice creams. And so, I mean, I just went, oh my God, these people love me, you know? Why would I want to be anywhere else, you know? So I got to make this happen. I, I, I've got to get back to these people that love me. Yeah. You were chosen to participate in a launch event in London around the publication of Harper Lee's Go Set a Watchman. I think because in Mickey Donnelly you created such a lovable and memorable child narrator 
who's drawn comparisons to Scout Finch, of course, but also Huck Finn, Holden Caulfield, Roddy Doyle's Paddy Clark, and Pat McCabe's Francie Brady from The Butcher Boy. Mm. Except, of course, unlike Francie, it's not Mickey who's disturbed, but the society in which he lives. Mm. Could you tell us a bit about the perils and opportunities of having a child narrator as your protagonist? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one because, I mean, you get... For me, the fascinating thing was that I could talk to the reader because I could say, I could have Mickey, you know, see someone being shot. And then Mickey would be going, but Mickey's just stolen 10p out of the change for the woman he was at the shop doing the messages for, you know. So he's, he's you know, wanting to get back down because the longer he leaves it, the more suspicious she'll be, you know, or whether she's going to find. That's what he's worried about, mm. you know. And, um, but what I'm saying to the reader is, you know, a, a, on top of that is going, we both know that's not, that's not the way the, the world works. This kid's never going to get away with this. You know, he, it, whether it's in a year or 10 years or whether we'll even ever know what damage it's done, you know, um, we know. So you become, you become complicit, you know, with, 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 with um, the author. And then, and also it's, it's almost like, you know, you become co-parents, you know, because you, I'm kind of saying, I'm really worried about him here. Did you see that? He didn't even, and they're going, and I know they're going, oh God, I don't, please don't let the boys come around the corner now and see him when he's got that thing or he's dressed the dog up in, in a communion dress or something. Don't let the ma come in and find him or, you know, the big brother or, you know, so I'm going, I know it's no caution, but this is what he's going to do. You know that? And they're going, yes, you know. So I feel like there's a conversation going on. That was the first time something like that happened to me because otherwise you just think I'm in character. I'm writing this wee character. You know, I used to run around, you know, and just think about what he would do if he was in the cinema or what would he do. And I, just, I could tell you everything that he would ever do. Um, and so um, uh, that was the fascinating thing for me, um, and to 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 be have that complicity and to and the worry and concern is if I don't have children, so you know it was a kind of there's a sort of parental thing going on in there for me as a writer, you know, and um, and I guess uh, that was that was I found that fascinating. Also, you know that he could look at things and just question why we do what we do. The things that we just accept as normal. He can just go, well, why did they do that? You know, why I don't, I don't think that's right. And, you know, and, and, and it allows for a lot of humour as well, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is there a downside? Are there risks attached? Well, yes, I think people <clears throat> don't, some people don't like it. You know, I remember a, a good friend of mine, an author, was saying, well, God, would you better make it short? You know, he was saying, like, you can't, I mean, people can't put up with that for a long period of time. You know what I mean? It gets really cloying or, you know, um, you know, you can't have another, for example, because in the first person as well. So you can't have someone else's perspective. So you just have to be in what he sees all the time. So everything has to be there in his eyesight, you know. But then, but so then you get, and I think that's where my theatre background came in, because I could have scenes where he was listening into kitchen door and catching snippets of conversation. So that within two, three lines of conversation, you could tell a million things, you know, uh, were going on. What what they weren't saying. You know what we all knew they weren't. You know, do you think he's? And you know, what are you talking about? You know, and you go, all oh, right, we know what she was going to say. You know, and you know, and, and you can just play around with dialogue. I love dialogue. You see, so I think you can really um, uh, uh, sh show a lot um, that way. But um, yes, yeah, so so I think you you are limited um, uh, with the reasoning, the amount of intelligence. I remember I, somebody said to me, pointed out a review. <laughs> 
So this was not authentic. And a 10-year-old boy wouldn't know what genuflect was. I thought, geez, you're not an Irish Catholic. Because I, I knew that. I think I was about three the first time I said genuflect. I mean, I was mm-hmm. like, I, I was an altar boy and did the masses during Lent yeah. when I was about seven or something. I don't remember what it was. And sacristy on the third of Yeah, because yeah. I knew it what about what you were saying earlier on, having setting a novel in Belfast? Did you encounter any sort of negativity from British publishers where, where you were based about the idea of having a novel set in the Troubles? Is there a sense possibly that kind of people think they know it all? They might know very much, but they, they think they do, and their, their interest levels are, are limited. Yeah, I definitely felt that. I definitely felt that uh, it was, you know, there was a resistance. Uh, it's a story that's already been told. There's, there are lots of books about the troubles, and um, and even down to being a child narrator in Ireland. I mean, I remember writing one review that was basically saying, "Oh, this must be like, this is just like Paddy Clark because it's about a boy in Ireland, and um, and he writes in short sentences or something." That was one of the criticisms. And I remember going, "Well." <laughs> I mean, you know, you can have more than one wee boy that comes from Ireland. So, you know, it's okay, you know. Mm. And and then also, but there is that thing, you know, and it's also like a working class thing. Like you can almost only have one mm. uh, and that's it. Yeah. You can have one example of a small, of a, of a, of a, of a working class Irish boy and that's it. Mm. And yet, and, and, and you know, it doesn't matter that one was set in, you know, 1960, one's in Dublin, one's in Belfast, one has the troubles, one doesn't have the troubles, one's exploring his sexuality, the other one isn't. One's, you know, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter that all those things are different. It's just mm. that they're Irish and they're a boy. Therefore, mm. that's the same, isn't it, you know? Um, and I think with, with the troubles, there's that kind of, um, um, even in even in Northern Ireland, people find it really uh, tired. You know, mm. like I, I mean, I remember um, you know talking to people when I was up there um, I, I, the first time I'd written it, and people were just going, oh, "For God's sake, don't write the troubles!" And they, they, I was talking to the people from the BBC Radio, they were going, "Don't write anything about the troubles," and um, nobody wants to hear it. You know, um, and I kind of thought, "Well, um, I'm kind of gonna, I'm going to write this for myself." Mm-hmm. Because I'm, I was working full time. I was getting up at five in the morning. I was doing like two and a half hours before I then went to work, and then I'd come back from work, and I was doing another two and a half hours before I made my dinner. And, you know, and I thought, well, if I'm going to sit, if I'm going to write something, I'm not going, I'm not going to sit here and write what you think mm-hmm. you're going to want. And by the time I've finished it, you'll probably want something else. You know, so I'm going to write something that is meaningful to me because that'll keep me doing it when no one's paying me, and and while I'm doing other things, and, and something I felt passionate about, and what I. And I can't send to people because, oh, there's been loads of books. And I said, well, how many books do you know that are about um, y- y- young boys exploring their sexuality in the basis of the trouble? Can you name me? How many can you name me? And they go, ah, oh, there's loads of them. How, can you name me one? Go, you know, so there's always that sort of, um, you get lumped in with other things. But I think um, ultimately there's only so much um, tipping of your hat that you can do to the, to the publishing mm-hmm. world and to other people's um, uh, desires, I think. And what about um, expanding on what you're saying there about the, the issue of class, of working class voices, yeah. or the, the dialects of um, Belfast or whatever? Y- your work is, is mm. peppered with that, like Scundered mm. and what have you. And I remember reading uh, Lisa McInerney's uh, Glorious Heritage earlier on and talking a little bit to her about that. And hers has got a very strong Cork uh, yeah. dialect. Um, 
there isn't a huge amount of it in even in Irish fiction. Um, certainly, I can't think of many um, like yours uh, from the north that's got that uh, authentic mm. uh, lo- local colour. Um, was it a tough job to kind of calibrate between being authentic and being opaque in terms yeah. of making I mean, it accessible? When I first wrote it, it would, you know, if you looked at it on the page, it was very off-putting. You know, it, it, I, I, I wrote it sort of more or less phonetically, you know, and I'm, I made it very strong, um, the accent very strong, and, uh, and, and I thought that was very important. Um, and then when I, when I sort of had that break and I came back and rewrote it again with a different attitude, my, I suppose the empathy that I then had for the characters and their situation and for the reader uh, and the people that I was sort of cross with from my childhood, I, um, I also had an empathy you know, for the reader in the sense that I kind of thought, you know, look, I, I'm a really slow writer. I'm a very slow reader, you know, and I look at pages like and I go, oh, for God's sake, do you know, like I've been working all day. I want to come in and I want to read a wee bit. I don't want to be sitting there like I'm in school, mm. you know, being tested on how, how good I am at dissecting. Because sometimes it looks like um, mathematics when I look at some of those, the way that some people have written their, uh, written in dialect. So I, I decided to be kinder to the people reading. And it took a long time. And what I decided to do was, you know, pick words and, um, and so keep them in. But I would explain what they were. You know, so like with Scundered, I sort of said, that, oh, you know, oh, uh, you know, he, he's, in, he's, oh, I'm in love with my teacher. You know, he'll go, you know, and he'll go, oh, my face is red like a smacked arse. I'm scundered. So even if you've never heard the word scundered, you could kind of go, right, he's in love with the teacher. He's embarrassed. His face is red. Oh, yeah, that's what you're sort of blushing. Oh, he's scundered. So it sort of means that he's embarrassed. And sc- yeah. So I kind of did that throughout the book. And, I, and, and then I started really enjoying that, you know, that I could, that I could take a word and introduce it to people and say okay you know you don't you don't need a glossary you don't need a sort of you know a dictionary and and any of those any of these things i'm, I'm gonna trust me i'm gonna make this easy mm-hmm. you know and so that's what i tried to do then um so maintaining an authenticity but but giving people um keys um but also making those funny in themselves if i could you know so rather than just being very bold like what you need to know is this. Mm-hmm. I tried to make you know make jokes and um, uh, and uh, yeah. So I re- I have to say I really enjoyed it. And and I think the way I thought about it was um, you know I wanted there's a real danger when you write a regional book that you have a regional story. So there was a criticism. There's a Northern Irish play on there and, um, in uh, the Royal Court in London there recently. And one of the criticisms was you know it's so regional that really has no uh, meaning to anyone who doesn't know the history of the, the context um, but I believe you know if you uh, reduce your story down to universal themes then then you you can do something uh, very special and you can make that region seem like anywhere in the world and I think you know things like um, you know uh, we talked about Harper Lee and you know those kind of classics where they are steeped in uh, uh, and when I read it again for that event, you know, I was I was really surprised uh, at, at, at how regional the language was and how mm-hmm. they used the dialect. Um, and and um, and uh, if you make you know if you make the story um, universal enough, um, it carries. It does travel. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's interesting. It's because this book's been translated now into Fran- French and uh, it's out in Germany in um, August, and then it's out in Hungary, and then it's uh, it's part of this. UK, Russia, Year of Language and Literature, they've uh, translated some for that. 
you know, so, I mean, and people, and that's one of the reasons why they tell you not to do it, you see. They say, don't, don't do it because it'll never get translated. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we can't, and we and you can't make money. Um, but they say the same thing to children's writers about rhyme. Don't, don't write things in rhyme because mm-hmm. how, how are we going to get translated? It won't rhyme. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, for every, you know, people that say that, you know, huge successful uh, children's book in Ryan, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and book in Dalek, you know, um, Trainspotting, you know, it was huge, you mm-hmm. know, when I was over in Mexico there last year, reading things and, um, you know, and they were, uh, they, the people were talking to me about, you know, um, and Trainspotting, how much they loved it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, I think it, there's an argument for, I understand what, why publishers are nervous around it, but I, I, I think it, it, it comes down to, um, uh, negotiating with yourself and, and, and the reader about how much they can take um, and, 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 for, and for your integrity um, yeah that's okay well having talked about it enough perhaps maybe uh, now might be a time to um, read a passage okay see how it goes down with this audience alright um, I was born the day the trouble started wasn't I mass as me it was you that started them son says she and we all laugh, except our Paddy. Now, I put that down to his pimples and his general ugliness. It must be hard to be happy when you have a face like that. <coughs> I almost feel sorry for him. I spy a dirty big love bite in his neck and I store this ammunition to defend myself against future attacks. Steamy, flowery smelling disinfectant fills my nose and joins the sweet tasting frosties in my mouth as Ma passes with a tin bucket and yard brush. Ma only cleans the yard when something's up, and that would be my da, as usual. Do you want a hand, mummy, says me. No, son, says she, disappearing out the back. She didn't even look at me. I'm worried about her after last night. Do you want a hand, our Paddy says in a girl's voice. You wee lick. I'm telling my mummy and you, I say. I'm telling my mummy and you, our Paddy mimics me. I look at wee Maggie, and I give her the we just hate him, don't we look. She gives me the yes we do, he's a big fat pig look back. I was taught how to give looks by a monk on Cave Hill. I trained like a Jedi Knight, but my lightsaber was my actual face. I became giving looks Skywalker. My mission to defend myself, all weaklings and youngest ones and families against the evil that is older brothers. We Maggie is now my disciple. To, the les- to test her telepathy training, I send her don't worry about him because he's going to be knocked down by a car. Then a lorry will run over his head, making his eyes pop out. We Maggie smiles. She got it. I think we're actually twins. Born years apart in some CIA super genetic test tube type experiment. Paddy gets up, leaving his dirty bowl on the table like he's King Farouk. Don't leave that for mommy, I say. Mommy's boy, says he. Shut up, you, I say. At least I don't have a dirty big love bite. We Maggie laugh chokes, and the frosties shoot from her mouth onto our Paddy's jumper, just like that wee girl in the exorcist I saw at the Pope John the Paul II Youth Club. That's your fault, you wee gay boy. Paddy slaps me across the head. I try to kick him, but my shin hits the table leg. Paddy wipes his jumper laughing. And you're supposed to be the smart one. Grammar school, away on, says he. I'm smarter than you, Dumbo, I say. And by the way, does your girlfriend like sucking the pimples on your neck? <laughs> Paddy dives at me and he tools me off the chair by the jumper. Mommy, I shout out the backyard. 
What? My ma screams, and the house trembles like when bombs go off. Paddy, let's go, because not even Muhammad Ali would mess with our ma. Nothing, I shout at the back. Paddy grabs his blazer from the back of the chair and heads off. I raise my eyebrows and smile at wee Maggie like victory is mine. The mess on Ma's good table is everywhere. I run to the sink, I wet a cloth, I rush back before Ma comes in and kills somebody. Somebody equals me. Even though I'm the good son in the family, I get the blame if wee Maggie does anything wrong because she's the youngest and I look after her. Wee Maggie could set me on fire and Ma would kick my head in for letting our Maggie near matches. Wiping the table, I see my reflection in the smoked glass. I look like a black baby we do collections for at school. I usually give them cream trice. We get free tins from the community centre because we're poor and because somewhere there's a place called Food Mountain made from tins of cream trice and corned beef. I think it's in Switzerland. One day I will be president of Ireland. I'll be so kind and good. I'll bring all black babies to Belfast where there's free food for poor people and they can live in the new houses like they're building at the bottom of our street. I've only ever seen black people on the TV. Apart from the ones starving in Africa, there's the ones America stole to make slaves, which isn't very nice. But at least they give them some clothes. You wouldn't be allowed to walk around America with no clothes on. Or Belfast. Maybe if you lived with the Protestants. I've only seen Protestants on the TV too. Mickey, stop spacing out, wee Maggie tugs me. You're going to be late for school. I throw the cleaning cloth in the sink and I run through the living room and up the stairs and I tiptoe into my room because I don't want to wake Da. Ma took him back in when he hammered the door in the middle of the night. He brought men with him. I listened from the top of the stairs. I told Paddy I heard Da crying and they were talking about money. The men said they'd come back today. Paddy thought Da wasn't coming back this time, but Da always comes back. I don't know why our Paddy even bothers trying to think, God bless him. I grab a school bag and run down the stairs into the kitchen. Ma, I'm away on, I shout to the yard. Did you get washed? Ma shouts back. Aye, I look at wee Maggie through the doorway, pretend to pick my nose and wipe it on my jumper. She laughs into her hand because she thinks like I'm like one of them from the TV. Like Laurel and Hardy or Abba Stella. We play them sometimes. She says it's not fair that we don't play any girl funny ones, but I say it's not my fault that girls aren't funny. Because if they were, sure wouldn't they be on the TV. I get on my horse and I ride him, dodging the chair and the table, swerve round the half-open door, into the living room, sideward round my dad's chair and past the sofa. Champion the wonder horse, I sing, saluting the TV. I gallop out the front door, wee Maggie running after me. Don't be doing that in the street, Mickey, wee Maggie says, like she's the one that looks after me. I'm not stupid, I say. Go on, you, I push her back into the living room. The waste ground in front of the house becomes an open prairie, and the owl knock down houses to the right now an abandoned gold rush mining town in the Wild West. I ride champion off into the sunset. Thanks very much, Paul. I always forget how fast Northern Irish people speak. <laughs> Sorry about that. I don't know. We had to speak fast when we were younger, and we were running away from something. In the previous book club podcast, um, I discussed the portrayal of squabbling siblings in Henrietta McCurvey's novel, The Heart of Everything. Um, in it, her characters were adults, but yours, Paul, are children, and it's fascinating to see how rules are assigned and patterns of behaviour formed that you suspect will carry over. Um, I wonder, kids can be vicious and cruel. We see that uh, throughout The Good Son, 
And I just wonder, since the child is father of the man, I wonder, do you see growing up as a civilizing process or do adults just learn to disguise their darker instincts? Do oh, my think? God. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's a bit hot to be carrying on conversations like that. Um, well, um, holy moly. Um, I think, I mean, in turn, we start off with talking about, you know, um, you know, siblings and, you know, I think families are about place. You know, you, you, you learn your place quite quick. You know, um, and uh, where you come in the pecking order, and that changes a lot. But interestingly, for example, like in my family, you know, I was the second youngest, but I was. Well, my family might be listening to this, but I would say that they, they, they would definitely have turned to me a lot. Hmm. And I think I was the peacemaker. Wise you know? counsel. Oh, yes. Very wise, Martin. Um, yeah, but it was like that. It was they would come to me, and I would I sort of managed to have a relationship with all of them so that you know i, c I could uh, uh uh use that to sort of mend bridges and mm. uh, 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 and, uh and, and and i enjoyed that for you know m most of my life but and then some sometimes you i think you then become that like that that defines you and you 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 move into your life becoming that person um and it took me a long time to sort of um disentangle myself from expectations mm -hmm. around me um, and in terms of, you know, I think that the second thing you were saying was about, was about um, you know, um, you know, how much it shapes you as, and, 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 and when you're an adult, I think, um, uh, I think it would be very easy to slip in to your, then your own family and your own children and to, and to, and to uh, reenact relationships and, and dynamics and behavior. And I certainly see that in the relationships I've had, for example, I see a, a replaying of my parents' relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I, I, not, and I don't feel comfortable around that. Would you, do you, Martin? Do I what, sir? <laughs> do you see yourself playing out um, uh, relationships uh, that your parents had or your... Um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you like that? <laughs> Um, <laughs> probably not. Well, no, my, bro my, my brother's over there. You can ask him <laughs> later. Yeah. Okay. Um, Mickey's an outsider because he's a mummy's boy who prefers playing with the girls than the boys. He's a clever clogs at school, set to pass his eleven plus and go to grammar school, all being well, uh, and a fondness for musicals from Greece to The Wizard of Oz. Um, it's sensitively handled, but it's obvious that he's attracted to boys, not girls. Um, was it a challenge to address the issue of how society treats children who are gay or otherwise different, or was it an opportunity that you relished? Oh, I loved it. Because, well, what I thought was, you know, look, I don't, you know, um, I don't say in the book that he's gay, for example, but what I say is, you know, that who knows what this wee boy is going to become? But if you keep battering him, you know, he's going, to, he's going to be forced to make some sort of decision he's not ready to make. And he doesn't know, you know, he really doesn't know what he's doing, you know. And he's just experiencing life and actually quite honestly experiencing it, you know. And he, and he, and he hears people saying, oh, you're, you're gay. And he goes, well, I, I, but am, am I that? Because I did not know what that means. And I really, you know, there's something about labelling children. You know, um, just a wee sort of adjunct to that was I, I used to teach primary schools, so I, I watched a lot of um, 
children um, damaged by labels. You know, I I, for, I I remember, for example, going to school and um, you know, and uh, uh, you know, a teacher saying to me, you know, oh, oh, like him in the corner, he's you know, he's the bad one, you know, and him over there, oh, he's the one. And I just thought, God, you know, and quite often when you go and do arts, for example, you know, you find these kids that are labelled like this are amazing because they finally found a, a platform for them to be this kind of um, crazy self. And all that was, was that badness that people saw was a lack of uh, opportunity to express themselves. And so I was, I was really interested in, in this boy who, who did seem to not, uh, he, of course he cares what other people think, but only to a certain point. And then he goes, you know what? just brilliant you know and I'm great and you know and I love my mum and I love myself and, and he's prepared to do almost anything for those things that actually that's what we would all be you know for our parents or for our children we would all do that and, and so he has that kind of fearlessness around that and, and, and around he just says these things happen to me oh that's the reaction and, the, and, 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 and he, he goes on he goes on because actually what his day is about is making sure his mum's all right or going looking after his wee sister or going to the shops you know and um and in the same way that the troubles was too for you know you know you, you still had to maintain a life and eat your dinner and you know and 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 all those things but of course all all of those things are shaping you too and a lot of it is about what people say and how they treat you and um you know when you're treated as a second class citizen be that because of your religion in northern ireland at that time be that because you're a little boy who doesn't like football or who likes to sing or who likes to play with girls or whatever, you know, then, you know, um, people can be vicious and, and that can be very damaging. And I think that um, I really enjoyed also that what I had, when I'd read fiction um, around sexuality, I'd found it to be about these people who really knew who they were and what their sexuality was. And, and I kind of thought, well, what if you don't? And actually, who tells you? And at what point do you say I am gay, you know, or I am bisexual, or I am, you know, I'm not comfortable in my own body or whatever. And I think a lot of it is forced on people. They're forced to me. Pick a side. Pick it. Are you Catholic? Are you, are you here? Are you there? Are you North? Are you South? Are you Irish? Are you British? You know, are you, are you gay? Are you straight? Are you, you know, are you, you know, are you a man or a woman? You know? Why don't you just, do? why do you let people go? Leave them alone. Mm -hmm. Let them go around being whoever they want to be and see what happens. And I think it would be quite an amazing experiment if you could ever, ever achieve it. Yeah. Even in a room, never mind a street or an area or a city or a country, never mind a planet. But honestly, it makes me so angry, you know, and I think that, you know, when I, and so that's definitely something I relished it. And I wanted to say, even to, you know, to gay people, was just saying like, you know, just hold off. Don't, you don't have to go and start labeling this kid, you know, cause you want to claim him as yours. And don't, you know, so people claim it, you know, just let him, who is he? He'll mm -hmm. find out. And yes, he likes these things that you also like, but he also likes other things that you don't. And he also likes things that, you know, and who, and maybe he doesn't have that impulse then, but maybe he's just not going to be a very sexual being. Mm -hmm. And maybe his body's doing all sorts of things. I mean, my body did all sorts of things when I was a young man. It didn't mean one thing or the other, you know what I mean? You know, and, um, but, you know, I think that um, I, I enjoyed that, and, 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 but I still wanted him to be, I wanted him to be different in a way that, people could tune into 
mm-hmm. without feeling that, oh, that I don't understand that experience because it's too far away from me. But I, of course, wanted to quite strongly say, you know, here's what you call weak and here's what you call mommy's being, you know, here's what you do to these kids. But, you know, do, you know what? I, I mean, I, my experience in life and, and my experience with, with, with people that, I, that I'm very close with, that what they have had to go through to be themselves, mm. normal, you know, people have no idea, mm-hmm. no idea what it takes to walk through your street every day of your life, been spit at and shouted at and called names by your <coughs> teachers, you know, in front of classes, you know, being getting gangs of boys beating you up and rejecting and you know all the horrible things. You know, I mean, when I was growing up, I remember the first time we were going out disco dancing and carrying on when we were. 16, 17, there was one gay bar in Northern Ireland. It was only gay between sort of 9 and 11 on a Saturday night. Oh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, that's true. And the whole of Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. You know, where did people go? What were they forced to do? You know, what were these people forced to do? Mm-hmm. Live lies, spend their lives as liars. You know, and if they dared speak the truth, they were vilified and beaten and killed and... I mean, it's. I, I mean, I, I, I am fascinated by how close, you know, how near the surface, um, people, how, that they're capable of such hideous things, mm-hmm. you know, to other human beings. It makes me very, very sad. In a way, it's maybe it's, you know talking about the North, whatever, and, and yeah, the troubles. Exactly. But it's maybe the secret is that. You know, the North has other problems too. It's, it is quite provincial and insular, and and our, you know, I say it is. It's a long time since I've lived there, since you lived there, but it certainly had that character when I was growing up. It was quite intolerant, not just sectarian, but also of of any kind of difference, whether I agree. Um, immigration or whatever else. I remember talking to a girl I was at school with as a Catholic at a Protestant school, or diluted orange, as I called it. Um, and she told me afterwards she was Chinese, a girl that I was at university with, and you know her experience kind of mirrored my own. She was a minority, you know, um, um, for as an ethnic minority rather than um, sectarian, whatever. But um, there was me feeling sorry for myself, and she had exactly the same experience mm. for another reason. It's a very intolerant place mm. you know um, but one that's it's it. very damaged it's very damaged mm-hmm. you know but but you know understandably unfortunately sure um, and and what 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 do you do about that um, um, but there is there is something else now actually because when you remove fear other things can grow Mm-hmm. And that's what I've seen. As much as I've seen things that have, have, have proven that uh, in, in, in lots of ways that haven't moved at all, and mm-hmm. people will pretend, people will pretend, you know, that these things aren't happening. And that's frightening to me. You know, um, they just don't want to hear that these things are still going on, and they are, and there's a lot of scary stuff still going on today. Um, but when your currency isn't fear, the currency was fear mm-hmm. back then. You know, you. Everybody was trying to intimidate everyone else. Everyone was trying to instill fear. Fear to walk down the street. Fear to get arrested. Fear to have a job. Fear to have you know. Fear to, you know, uh, go to the police. Fear to you know, 
Um, and, and this, that still exists too. Um, I, I was walking through Ardoin there last week, and you know, this is the morning of PNSNI not welcome here. I can believe. I thought, God, I thought all that those days were gone, you know, and they're not. So many things uh, would, would scare you if I took you a walk around my Belfast. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I would say that, but the, the, that's not the currency. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a there's a lighter feeling, and in that space where that fear has gone, um, there are. There are, there are interesting things going on, artistic things. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it, 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 it's, a, it's not a coincidence that like, during the Troubles there was very little going on artistically. You know, people wouldn't come visit the Troubles you know, mm-hmm. in Northern Ireland, for example, like bands, even, even you know, culturally you know, and pop bands and things like that. You know, because we're afraid. You know? mm-hmm. So now you have you know, Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears, whatever, you know, they all come. So the kids get to feel like they're the same as the kids in America or the kids anywhere else. You know? Whereas before they, did, they weren't. Mm-hmm. They, you know, and... Um, and but also you know there's um, millions of festivals like someone said to me the other day don't bloody start a festival up here would you we're sick looking at festivals we're saying festival for opening a you know closet you know mm-hmm. um, and so there's there, there, but it's all exciting there's um, uh, uh, there's an excitement there um, uh, which is which is new mm-hmm. and and, I, and that's um, that's refreshing and it's hope and that's again when I rewrote the book you know it was a book that was devoid of hope initially mm-hmm. and what I decided to right was a book that was hopeful mm-hmm. not no, a complex hope not only hopeful but also very funny um it's something that's hard to kind of you know ar- articulate but the atones established from the word go like the passage the opening passage from the book that you that you read there the idea that mickey was born the day the trouble started and his mom mm-hmm. tells him yeah it was you started them son um analyzing comedy can be a bit like this dissecting a frog to see <laughs> what makes it jump but yeah. can you talk a little maybe about your roots in comedy and theater and how that fed into your to your novel writing and also were you always determined to make it a funny read to alleviate the darkness of other aspects of the story or is that just your own natural way of writing or um, well, I mean, certainly. I mean, if you, I mean, if you look at the short story, it's not as funny as this, for example. You know, but there's funny moments in it. You know, it was definitely a choice I made. I made him a character, and I wanted to him to be funny. I wanted that to be kind of, you know, how ha- how ha- how he engaged with the world, and and I enjoyed that. And I I was um, making theatre in Belfast, and then I got invited to come to London uh, by someone I'd been at university with, who was who had then set up a uh, an agency for comedians and uh, she was working with particularly comedians who were trained actors and actresses uh, so you know who were looking for other ways of earning money because a bit like writing you know it's very hard to make a living as an actor um, so you know they um, so I went over there and just fell in love with it mm. you know fell in love with writing comedy and, and just it was like getting paid to laugh I couldn't believe I couldn't believe my luck you know um, and I did that for about eight years. Um, but then in the end, when it became, it became very serious. You know, like you're turning up, um, you know, at eight o'clock in the morning and uh, crouch hand it was actually. Um, uh, 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 and, uh, you know, a comedian who's been out touring um, up to 3 a.m., you're driven back from Leeds, you know, and performed at a, in a scout hut to two men and a dog who had turned up over there. And, the, and, and quite a lot of, drugs in that environment as well you know and um, you know you're getting up in the morning and you're sorry you're riding there in the morning they're getting up taking some drugs and going be funny and you're like ah, <laughs> do you hear the one about the man that went down <laughs> and uh, you know 
it got to that point. I think mm. the more serious I got, the, the the better I was doing. The more of that world I became uh, involved with, and I didn't like. I became miserable. Mm-hmm. I actually became a quite a miserable person as well because I remember I remember going out to meals and um, with my friends and everything after trying to be funny all day, and uh, I would be sitting around having a meal, and someone would go, "Oh, you know, because ah," and I go. Oh. Really? It's not really that funny, is it? I mean, you know, I was going, oh, did I say that? And I was like, oh God, I'm sorry. You know, you know, but it became, you know, it, uh, it was like work talk. Being funny was like work. I like, okay, this is work. Can we just talk about like, I don't know, like, I don't know, accountancy or something. I don't know. Um, but, um, so it became, it became like that, you know, and you also got this thing, my a comedian I worked with, he was the funniest person I ever met. And and someone goes, oh, you're a comedian. We'd be like, tell tells a joke, tells a joke. She said, oh, which you're a doctor. Remove my spleen. You know, mm. she'd be like that. She was always kind of having a go at people for saying, you know, expecting her to be funny. And that's why a lot of comedians are very sour mm. in real life. You know, because they're just exhausted with the, 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 the you know, by the time they get out socially. You know, um, so so I haven't had the break from comedy and the break from writing. When I came back, I, I was like, I was ready to let, open that door, you know, and let it all out, you know. Mm-hmm. So I just, I'm mean, glad to take so much of it out. You know, I was just riffing on like these, like stand up, because I'd written stand, stand up routines. You know, he was just like a stand up comic. He'd just mm-hmm. look around and go, oh, look at that painting. Oh, look at the color. Ah, and he'd just one, two, three pages on something about painting, you know. Mm-hmm. And I would just be sitting there laughing and thinking I was great. Um, but of course, then when you come back, you come down to, editing you know you have a narrative and you need to keep it all you know and it doesn't matter how great or funny it is you have to you know keep people going and I did wanted to make it a, a sort of a page turner as well you know mm-hmm. um, so I made it I made it kind of very heavily plot based mm-hmm. and um, and uh, yeah so I kept a lot of the jokes in but I um, I think it, it does it's a very dark book it's interesting like some of the some of the um, reviews don't even mention that it's funny mm-hmm. And I think, what did they even read my book? Because there must be about ten jokes per page. I mean, you know, but some of them are like, oh, setting the troubles and so on about this difficult stuff and the meat boy and all goes nines and very thing. No, and I go, and yes, it no, and, and absolutely, I had ambitions with mm. this book. Mm. I mean, I did look at the classics that you mentioned earlier on, and I, I thought, was, I, I really wrote this book thinking this might be the only thing I ever write. And I thought, and if I do, I want it to be something that stands up. Mm-hmm. Stands the test of time. That you know, that has a universal um, appeal and that 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 uh, and has longevity. And um, so, um, yeah, that answers some of it at mm-hmm. least. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I remember I got a phone call from you, Paul. If you remember, it must be over a year ago now, out of the blue, and mm-hmm. you were introducing yourself in your book and asking right. for advice on the Irish literary That's scene. Now fast forward a year and you're at the West Cork Literary Festival yeah. uh, this week and you've recruited fellow writers of the calibre of Lisa McInerney, Danielle McLaughlin and Lucy Caldwell to write about uh, yourself and The Good Son. So how have you come so far so fast? What's I'm the secret? Very charming, Martin. <laughs> um, I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, I'm very good at buying drink. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I am... Um, it's funny because I worked um, like for the last three or four years when I started writing again. Like I was really writing like a like a line a day, mm. you know. Like I had no, 
Oh dear. Like I was sort of thinking, no, well, I just write, you know, there's a good, the Hemingway. That's why you disappointed all these comics when they ask you for a line. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. It's going to take me a while. Um, but no, I, I kind of, um, yeah, I, there's this Hemingway thing that says, you know, how do you start a book? And you start with one true sentence, you know? And when I started writing again, I really felt that. I thought, you know, well, I'm just going to start with one, one thing I know is true. And this is, this is going to make you laugh because I, I, I would go to bed and I would say, um, what is the line I want to leave on my desk if I don't wake up? I'm going to leave one line. They'll say, that guy, he never made it, did he? He didn't even write a book. But did you hear that line? <laughs> you know what I mean? I was thinking, I'll, 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 keep, I'll take that. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, that, that it might end up in some Athena poster, you know, or I don't know. <laughs> you know, credit it to me, you know. I was, I was, I, I, I can do with that. So I sort of set my sights very small, and I spent about six months writing a, 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 a 500 word story. It took me six months. Flash fiction. Flash fiction it was. And it was actually ended up in the stingy fly, and it did very well for me, and it got me some bursaries. And I, and I kind of worked for me, and I thought, I'd rather write small, um, uh, I'd, I'd rather, um, yeah. It'd be about quality than, than quantity. And what happened was during that time then, so while that was all going on, I obviously wasn't being very productive, but what I was doing was I was setting up a blog mm-hmm. and, um, and and that came out of that whole ethos of, you know, being generous and kind of thinking, well, that's that's the currency I deal with now. It's like, you just, just, and I and I thought, well, I'll go and investigate how you become a writer and how you, how you make it. And, but rather than keep the information to myself, I'll share all the information that I find. I'll, I'll, I'll find, I'll, I'll make a wee place online, a wee, um, Lucy Caldwell called them uh, like a wee, a wee treasure chest or something like that, you know, and people call it a wee cave. You know, you go in, it's like Aladdin's cave and you can be there for hours opening up all sorts of little treasure. Because I just find these obscure little um, either interviews or uh, competitions that reveal or bursaries or, and, and, and then I just put them on this little place. And, um, and, and it just became a go-to place for writers. So, um, and, and then what I started doing was going, what? And this is, I mean, I can't believe I did this. It was so cheeky. But what I <laughs> I would start having problems with, with my writing. I'd go, hey, what do you do if the middle's rubbish? And you need to, and you don't know. So I would, I'd write to people like Lucy Caldwell and say, I've got about 20, 30,000, 40,000, I think it's up to you now, whatever people through come through my blog every month and all. But should I do a VM interview about writing? She'd go, oh, yes, Paul. And I'd meet up and I'd go, so Lucy, what do you do if your middle's rubbish? Hypothetically. You know? <laughs> I'd literally come with all, all of my problems and call it an interview. So I got away with it. But because I think, you know, because I genuinely wasn't really getting anything out of, I mean, except out of, I mean, I was, I was just so uh, glad to be back in the world as I saw it, you know. And I just thought, I'd, I'll just do everything I think. I think, I, what do I, I'm going to set up a blog? I'm going to set up a blog. I'm going to try and set up a festival. I'm going to start a short story festival. I'm going to do that. I'm going to, Oh well, I'm gonna. Oh yeah, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna, oh, no, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I, and, and I did, and I did it all. Hmm. And it was an amazing time. And during that time, while I was around these places, I'm going to conferences and going to festivals, and um, I would just uh, make friends. Mm-hmm. And um, having been sort of very isolated for a long time, it was like very really joyous time for me. And, and I think joy is infectious, isn't it, really, you know? And I think that, you know, I infected a few people. And, uh, and then I was able to ring them up and go, 
Will you help me out? Very mm. sweet. And Lisa. And, um, and they were very, very, very nice. Yeah, so, um, so I think that was part of it. But all, you know, also because I, yeah, I think that we recognise ourselves as kindred spirits, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that the, we, we had same, the same ideas about life and, um, uh, and, and with Lisa McNeeny, for example. I was with her last night, we were sitting and we just laughed. We, we, she just makes me laugh and I make her laugh and, mm. um, and so that's you know we, we, we operate on a different level and I think sometimes when in the writing world people are very um, ambitious um, in the wrong way you know and there is a, can be a lack of um, genuine contact mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, I don't really have the time for anything that isn't so yeah I remember as well, you did a Q&A just shortly after that and your favourite word was, is it still your favourite word? Was it reciprocity? It was reciprocity. I haven't thought about that in a long time, but yes, that was definitely, I, I have to say, I wish I wasn't. I think it's probably one of my flaws, actually, that I can be a little bit judgmental about people who don't give hmm. or give back. And I wish it wasn't, because the whole you shouldn't do that. You should give not wanting anything back. And I think I do. But every now and again, I go, God, they didn't do that, did they? Mm-hmm. All right, I remember that. <laughs> I'm going down in my book. Um, <laughs> my not very nice book. And we'll see what happens mm-hmm. the next time I'm going to be seeing it. Uh, yeah, yeah, but um, yes, but it does, it does, it does mean a lot to me. I think. Caring is sharing. That's it. Everybody be nice to each other. <laughs> now, I was struck as well. You said. Um, talking about your influences as a writer um the book that you mentioned that kind of changed the way that you thought about fiction i thought was very interesting it was henry and june by anna east nin yes um which has struck me as a bit left field but do you want to explain to me why that was such an important book for you well i don't know about you but i think i mean i'm people lie a lot And, um, you know, there's that, that thing about families or secrets and lies, you know, um, Northern Ireland, you know, people will look you in the eye and, you know, and, 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 and the establishment did certainly at that time as well. I mean, we just front out stuff and say, no, this didn't happen. And, and there's, a, there's a kind of distrust uh, that I grew up with. And um, when I read that book, it was so naked. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I'm fa- I'll tell you what. I, I won't tell you because it was it was a it was a bit of a dirty bit in the book. But I remember sitting on the tube in uh, London, and I was only I was maybe like eighteen, nineteen, and I was reading. And I came to a point in this book where she describes something that happens, and I remember my whole body reacting. You know, like I was I was tingling and I was, and I was sweat. And I remember looking up and just saying, "People, I've changed." right now and I remember looking around thinking can these people see can these people have they seen what that I have seen right into the soul of this person and 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 that I am now changed by that and can they and I remember having to get off at the next stop because I was so uncomfortable that there was people because I felt that it had it had exposed me and and I think that then so my writing, I think, uh, I try to have some sort of exposure. I try to be raw. I mean, a lot of people have said that in the interviews. 
you know, it's quite a raw book. And I do, and you know, and, and, I, and in some ways then you might say it lacks a finesse, you know, or, or, or a delicacy. Mm. Um, but I think I, I just, I use, I use delicacy and finesse about other things, about uh, around certain themes or, um, or around love. But I think that I try to say, you know, I try to rip some stuff off, some layers mm -hmm. and get, and that's a great thing about child narrators as well, as you can really do that. And just say, let's talk about let's talk about really matters here, and let's let's take some risks, and I'm gonna risk that you aren't gonna like me right now when I do this thing or say this thing, um, because I'm not gonna make this all pleasant, you know. And there's there's unpleasant things in the book. There's unpleasant things that Mickey does. There's unpleasant experiences that he has that they're not particularly nice to write or to read you know then you know he's not a middle-class boy you know going to piano lessons mm -hmm. you know he's sniffing glue in an, in a abandoned factory you know wondering whether he's going to get you know slip the hand or whatever you know and you know but i don't write it and you know i write it in, with an innocence and with um, you know and it's within context but um you know and i think that there's so if you can use those moments in life and talk about it because they're real mm -hmm. and we all run around pretending like they're not I mean and I, don't, I mean okay it may not be in an abandoned factory that happened to you but it, it will have happened to you at some point during your childhood that those mm -hmm. are the kind of things situations you were in um, you know and so to, but I wanted to do it in a way that's, that, that, that invited people not to judge that in fact invited them to open and say yes god the awkwardness or the awfulness or the or the funniness, or the you know, um, and and I think that that experience with that book, you know, um, I just had never met anyone so honest. I I couldn't believe it, and and smart, mm. smart about the way people are and why we do what we do, and to be and just to say this is who I am, and I am not always very nice, and I'm manipulative, and I, uh, but I take massive risks, and I I believe in what I'm doing. Uh, most of the time and, and, I, I, and yeah very very impactful to me mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. finally could you put uh, the good son into the context of your other writing um, your short stories whatever else or what your, what's on the boil now what's coming next um, well I've been, I've been over the last few years I've been writing some short stories I'm very slow I wish I was faster at writing but I, I um, like I wrote a short story there for I mean, a radio four about a year ago or so, but you know, I mean, I had the first idea when I was about 20, you know, like about this boy tickling his mum's uh, legs and she'd just come in from work and it was a really strong image. And I had, I remember my mum coming in from work, you know, she'd stand her feet on. And, and then, and I didn't know what that was, it was an image and something, I knew there was something to it, but I didn't know what it was. And then, you know, about 10 years later, I remember being in, in, a, in a conversation where someone told me uh, an image about um, someone who had, I don't even know if it was in my family, but someone had run during their lunch break to see their wife or something. And then someone else had told me something about someone waving their hand out of a window. And the final piece about 10 years after that was, um, um, I had been to see my mum and my mum has dementia and um, she held me one day and wouldn't let me go. Uh, it was just a really extraordinary experience. Now, when I came to write the this that was like the final moment and then everything just um, wore, they sort of wove together and became the story now 
that story didn't happen to me and uh, 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 but um, it's it's steeped in in autobiographical stuff but it's not it didn't happen you know what I mean um, but um, I, I think that I probably um, that that's just how I write mm-hmm. you know it will be because I want to say something about intimacy I'm very interested in, for example um, and touch you know so I've been writing we went working on about three or four stories now where where um, touch is uh, crucial to the understanding of the piece and I think that that's fascinating I think you know the more time I spend alone like I've been single for 12 years and and um, you know I spend a lot of time alone and um, and then you forget so something like that can be really somebody hugs you and holds on you go oh my god you know you're, it's something your whole body starts doing stuff in your mind and you think when was the last time you know and we and you forget you know there's all these studies about you know, you know the, the children and officers who weren't picked up and what 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 it does to them and mm-hmm. um and i think touch is a very very touch memory you know touch can like a smell can take you take you right back 20 30 years ago so um and also as a society we're moving uh, you know kids are sitting they're not playing in the street rough and tumble they're sitting here on their on their computers and you know and we we don't touch each other as much you know teachers are not allowed to hug kids um in their class i remember the last one of the last times i was teaching one of the reasons i stopped teaching because i was very tactile and drama and we were all playing it. And I remember, you know, it got to the point where I had to keep the door open and if a child touched me, I had to put my hands in the air hmm. in case anyone saw, you know. I mean, it's, I mean, it, you know, so that, we're just becoming that society, you know, um, and, and that's fascinating to me. And what does that do and what will it do mm-hmm. to us as human beings? Uh, all right, we'll see. Thanks very much, Paul. Yeah. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, Okay, that's the end of this month's Irish Times Book Club here in association with the Irish Writers Centre in Parnell Square. Uh, I'd like to thank, particularly to thank Paul for coming um, all the way up from Cork today, heading back tomorrow. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for coming as well, and John for the sound, and the Irish Writers Centre for hosting us. Um, thanks very much. Uh, there's books here. If you'd like to come up and buy one, have it signed. Touching is extra. Thank you. <laughs>